I could have killed them all. I could have killed you. In time, you're the law. Out here, it's me. Don't push it. Don't push it. I'll give you a war you won't believe. Let it go. Let it go. Good morning, good afternoon, good people, and you're listening to episode 30 of Dude and a Monkey. I'm Mark Foster, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Mr... A relieved Ian Long. And why are you relieved, Ian? Have you just urinated, or have you just got some good news? Well, uh, good, well, not personally good news, you know, like, I'm not, it's, it's not something that's been making my entire life or anything like that, but, um... Peter Capaldi is the new Doctor Who, like literally he's just announced about 10 minutes ago. Um, good on him and good on the showrunners for making that choice. No, it's not a woman. No, it's not uh, a black uh, a black person. But to be honest, given the direction they were going with that show and with the kind of audience it attracts, going older I think was actually quite brave in itself. So um, good on it. and. Matt Smith can bugger off now as far as I'm concerned I think he's been a very good Doctor but I really want to see Peter Capaldi as the Doctor yeah I mean I, I, I don't follow the show myself but um, I'm not a absolutely not a hater I've just I, I've tried to watch it just doesn't agree with me but I am very glad that other people watch it and he makes other people happy I'm all for that and Peter Capaldi seems to be a very very popular choice so far um, is there any other um, news you've had of a uh, of a pleasing nature this was here oh <laughs> um yeah no i mean i wasn't going to mention it but um yeah no i mean yeah, I, I assume you're referring to friday i am indeed referring to friday yes yeah yeah no no it's fine yeah no no absolutely it's just i i just to be honest i kind of assume anybody who listens to this probably follows us on twitter or facebook or whatnot probably knows but uh, yeah, Donna and I having a girl, which is awesome, um, and uh, it, it, it's starting to come up a bit quick now. We're just over 21 weeks, so um, and the kid's got uh, 
legs that a baby a week older um, would generally have, which is weird. Um, but we're hoping it means she's going to be out a little bit early. But uh, yeah, awesome. Nice, cool. Congratulations. Um, Thank you, sir. And uh, well, have you got any other things to add, um, or should we should we get into that? Are you actually hinting at anything now, or just no? General, general. general. <laughs> <laughs> I finished on my vague hinting. Uh, yeah, no, 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 um, no, not cool. really. Cool, <laughs> um, well, we'll say it later on the show, but we'll say it as well now. Uh, any feedback to dudeandmonkey at gmail.com, at dudeandmonkey on Twitter, at Ian Loring on Twitter, at dudefors on Twitter. Uh, one thing I will say is we're actually recording just, what is it, four days, Thursday? Well, yeah, four days after we recorded the last show. Uh, so we didn't actually get chance either of us to watch the next instalment of our Spike Early Marathon, which was Girl 6, and we've actually changed our mind on it anyway, and we're going to do He's Got Game instead. Uh, a couple of reasons. One, Girl 6 was finding quite hard to track down, and two, being honest, uh, we just think that uh, He Got Game could be a more interesting film to talk about uh, than Girl 6. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely. I, I, I'm, I'm genuinely. I'm more intrigued by he got a game than I was going to. Yes, uh, I, I have seen it, 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 and from what I remember, it's a very good film, uh, and I've seen it only a few years ago. Um, and let's say we, we've we've only recorded four days ago, and two of those days since then, I was spent uh, doing best man duties at a wedding. So I literally had a day and a half to watch stuff. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so. I uh, will get into our main review in a second, um, which we're going to keep as a mystery film until you get to the trailer. So oh, yes. here oh, is yeah. a trailer from said mystery. Oh, no, are we doing some trailers We are first? going to, yes. Before we get into that, let's have some trailers. So, Ian, uh, what trailers have you seen this week? Um, okay, so to be honest, I can't remember... Um... I know we talked about American Hustle last week. No, we did talk about Walter Mitty last week. Um, Haunter, which is the new Vincenzo Natale film, the guy directed Splice and Cube uh, with Abigail Breslin, which um, is playing Fright Fest. Uh, I think it's going to be on VOD in the US. Um, and I don't know. It looks like a very generic horror film, yeah. in fairness. Uh, uh, Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa. Um Laughed more at this than I did at pretty much any other trailer this year, frankly. Um, the Oh, God. When the boy is dressed as a girl at the beauty pageant and is doing like a strip... Uh, not beauty pageant, sorry, uh, because it's like a six-year-old. No, um, what are they called? Do they call yeah, them beauty they pageants? Uh, okay, that's weird. Um but yeah, when the, the bad grandpa comes on and just starts kind of like dishing out yeah. dollars, kind of like the, 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 like the, 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 just the hand movement that he's doing, just kind of the way they're coming out. It, it, and then the way that like it ends and then just a single woman starts clapping and then just <laughs> yeah. stops. It, it, I, I, li- I really like the Jackass films anyway, but this this I, I am I am so fucking up for this. It's untrue. So uh, good stuff. Um, Red. Red Band for We're the Millers, which I've got to say made me laugh. Um, I I will watch We're the Millers, uh, which I wasn't really expecting. And uh, Machete Kills, which looks like more of the same. It it, it really does look like Machete. Mm. Um, Yeah, yeah, it just... I will probably watch it on Blu-ray or Netflix. You know, I've got no... 
I've got no inclination to see Machete kills on the big screen in the fucking slightest. No, I, I, I really don't care. Uh, like I said, I'll, I'll watch it on, on, on Blu-ray or VOD. Uh, I, I, I could see it getting a simultaneous release, to be honest. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised myself. Yeah. Anything else you caught? Uh, no, mate, that's it. Uh, I caught uh, Jim Mansfield's car uh, trailer, the Billy Bob Thornton, his new uh, written and directed film, and it, it just looks awful. Just really, really awful. Um, and uh, the trailer for uh, Lone Survivor, uh, the new Mark Wahlberg, and... Well, the strange thing is, is it's actually got quite an impressive cast, uh, Lone Soldier. Uh, anyway, so the, the, the weird thing is, is um, Lone Survivor yeah, looks quite good, uh, but the trailer only lists as the people that's in it, Mark Wahlberg. So in the trailer it says, Mark Wahlberg, nobody else. But you've actually got Mark Wahlberg, Emile Hirsch, Ben Foster, Eric Banner and Taylor Kitsch. But it only lists Wahlberg. So, but then again, it looks quite decent. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that. You know, they all, they're all actors that I quite enjoyed, to be honest. So I am, I'm looking forward to that. Other than that, like I say, it's not been that long since we last recorded, so there's not been that much out there. No, absolutely. It's um, yeah. I mean, like next week we'll have more because we, it would actually be a week's break. So yes, right. Um, so we're actually, I think we are actually now ready to go into the trailer for our feature review uh, this week and here it is <laughs> okay tell me something do you really like movies oh, really really like movies when's the last time you went to see a movie in a theater you know a movie that you really thought meant something to you I don't know you know I guess Maybe it's just not my thing anymore. I like making my own movies. What do you mean you make your own movies? I guess I'd like to keep some parts of my life private. Nobody has a private life anymore, Tara. All actors. Okay, in case you didn't guess that from the voices... Uh, that was the trailer for The Canyons, a, a erotic thriller directed by Paul Schrader, written by Brett Easton Ellis, and starring Lindsay Lohan, um, real-life porn star James Dean, Nolan Jad Funk, uh, and Gus Van Sant. Uh, and this was made using Kickstarter, I believe. I believe so. Um, to some extent, I think they raised about 150000 and then... They put another hundred thousand apparently into it, so totaling a budget of around two hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. It came out on VOD, and I, I assume me and you watched it on US iTunes. 
And then did, um, on, well, I watched it this morning, to be honest. Um, but it came out on Friday. It's had a bit of publicity behind it, I think, as much for the fact that Brett Easton Ellis is a bit of a mouthy bugger and the fact that it's got Lindsay Lohan in it, so it's always going to attract yeah, I mean, a certain amount of attention. Yeah, there was there was a piece I think it was in the New Yorker, but I'm, I, if people correct me, fair enough. Um, there, there was this massive piece about like how much of a trouble production it was and how much Lindsay Lohan was just a pain in the ass to work mm. with, which which isn't at all yeah, surprising. Which is a little bit like I'm sorry, but you know you hired Lindsay Lohan, fucking deal with it. There was enough stories out there yeah. about how much of a pain in the ass she was before you hired her. And let's be honest. I don't think people would give a shit about this film without her. Well, as much of a shit without her. I think she's, she's a selling point in a way, in a very bizarre way. But, Ian, mm-hmm. uh, what did you think of uh, The Canyons? Um, yeah, so, I mean, the, the Canyons is not a good film, um, frankly. Um, but I, I, I do think that some of the vitriol against it is rather opportunistic, Um from the person writing it, frankly, and it's um, and, and and I mean that kind of, in a way, feeds into the film's central thesis. It seems to be directed by and, and written by a man who, who uh, uh, well, two separate men who hate the industry, and are basically telling it to go fuck itself. And there, there's this kind of pervading mood about at the moment that cinema seems to be kind of going to the dogs. Um, you know, and, and, and whether that's through people saying, oh, you know, uh, it, it, it's basically all VOD because blockbusters are, uh, are going to cause some sort of massive financial crash at some point, um, or I suppose a combination of those two factors. Um, it d- There is a kind of a dark cloud around film, at least on like the film blogosphere at the moment. I mean, like going on, on a slight tangent, but it's kind of connected. Like I was listening to the Empire podcast this week and... Um, uh, they were they had Twitter questions. And they were being asked like, "What was your favourite film of 2013 so far?" And one of them said, "Well, I know I sound like a dick saying this, but I mean it. The best film the, the best film I've seen this year was PlayStation 3's The Last of Us. You know, and it, it that that kind of feeling, you know, the constant thing about TV being the new cinema or video games being the new cinema and that that kind of thing. And I think that whole dissatisfaction with the industry is 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 self-evident in the canyons um and it's it's a film that that is kind of it is commenting on this while also having a plot which seems to be feed it's like schrader and ellis made the most by the numbers erotic thriller bollocks they could think of as some sort of bizarre like like masochism um and i mean it's interesting for that reason i mean it's certainly not subtle i mean the opening of the film are still shots of basically disused cinemas um but i i i thought that was interesting if not incredibly depressing i found it quite an angry film and angry with itself as well as the industry um mark i'm, I'm very intrigued. What did you think? Um, well, for a start, um, Brett Easton Ellis is the, the author of one of my uh, all-time favourite books with American Psycho, and Paul Schrader is the writer of one of my favourite films of all time in, in Taxi Driver. And 
so there you, you've got you, there is there is talent behind this film um i i like like you i i i don't quite understand the the vitriol i behind the the criticism behind it i think part of it is in a way because Brave and Ellis is is a writer who courts um aggression i would say he 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 courts this this feeling he he's quite martyristic in a way and and also as well, I, I think that people like to poke fun at Lindsay Lohan. I think it's just become the thing people do. Um, I don't think there's anywhere near enough to the canyons for it to warrant any of the the, the height of of anger it, it, it has gotten um, from people. It's very much like you say. It's I mean to call it I think to call it a by the numbers erotic thriller it, it is generous at points. It's it it. it at points, it's it's so jarringly obvious and of itself that, that you find yourself going, why am I still watching this? But you are still watching it. Um, the other thing is, is there is this, like you say, the, the opening with all the um, the disused cinemas and then the the shots of disused cinemas um, peppered throughout it. Um, I don't know whether or not that that's you know portrayed on British Lights might um, might try and say that that they're using this film they're trying to say something with this film uh, and using those images about kind of the decay of cinema etc and everything like that which is all fine and all fair enough but that strikes a pose of well it, why not use the money to do something like make a documentary about the decay of cinema, why use the money to just make essentially a bad film Um, it it, it also it just seems a little bit like, you know a more poignant thing to do would be to, to put these images spliced in between scenes of Grown Ups 2 and that would highlight the breakdown of cinema a lot better than a yeah. straight to VOD, £250,000, which, let's face it, is a bullshit amount of money. You know, it could have cost half, that. it could have cost double that amount or three times that amount, and we'll never know because nobody will actually care enough to look into it. Um, and also, I very much doubt that Trader and Ellis and Lohan worked for their usual amount of money. So, it, it's kind of... It's it's a false ideal. Um, they will we made this movie for quarter of a million dollars. You yeah, know, absolutely. Well, well done. You know, but did you really? I mean, did you? Uh, it's the same as the um, the Joss Whedon making much about nothing for whatever it was, sixty four thousand dollars, whatever he said. Well, yes, because you didn't have to pay the actors and you didn't have to pay yourself. So, you know. Don't try and pretend that you're a low-budget fucking filmmaker. Um, it's a little bit like that. Um, I mean, it, when you look back, because the, the production, uh, and we'll get into the film in a second, but I, I won't mind talking about the sort of production, the ideas behind it sure, first sure. before we do that, because the production is, I, I think you could make as interesting a documentary about the Canyons making and um, before production, pre-production, post-production, and everything like that, as you could do as actually the film is. Um, because Shred and Ellis 
if their idea is that they have intentionally made a not great film to highlight the breakdown of cinema, doesn't kind of back up the fact that you know that they've been very much of the opinion of, of, of saying, oh well, you know, look at Lindsay Lohan, you know, she's actually a great presence and she's very charismatic, and we, you know, we didn't like the idea um, because it was Brett Easton Ellis, surprise, surprise, idea to bring on a male porn star to star in the lead role. Um, but yeah, and they met up with him and he was really charismatic and had a great screen presence and all this. And it's like, on one hand, they're going to try and pretend this, and on the other hand, they're saying this beforehand. It, it all feels a little bit out of balance with itself. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's absolutely fair. The thing is, though, I mean, I don't know too much about Brett Easton Ellis, but I mean, Paul Schrader has always been someone who seems to need uh, the the medium of kind of writing or directing or whatever just as a a, a kind of a form of catharsis i mean you you look at like his adaptation of the last temptation of christ or you look at um uh, hardcore the george e scott film um that they're you know they're angry films Mm. um and this is as well and i mean it's it's interesting because it's almost the the reactions to the film and you know like the, the this the woman this woman who helps organise South by Southwest actually coming out and publicly lambasting the film, you know it it, it this whole kind of thing it just the, the film world at large and the kind of the film blogosphere has has got myself more and more depressed of mm. late. Um, just in how how kind of vulture-y it, it seems to be. It, it, I think it we just, have mentioned it, that, it, that people seem to like telling you the films that they don't like or the films they don't want to see a lot more than they do like talking about the films that they are looking forward to seeing and the films that they've watched that they did enjoy. Yeah, and, uh, yeah exactly. And it's, I mean, they, these aren't just people on Twitter... No. It, I mean, it's it's professional critics as well who are, you know, themselves like moaning about the you know, about not being not being paid anymore and getting fired from their jobs and being let go, which is, you know, a terrible thing to happen personally. Mm. But then it that whole kind of thing, the whole kind of the, the doubt of film criticism as a professional ongoing concern um, it is kind of almost it is almost like a feedback loop into people's writing about films and thinking about films. You know, it, it's it, I, I, Frank, I think it's a depressing time to be a film fan in that regard. I think that there are genuinely great films out there still, but it, it's, it's getting, I think it's getting harder and harder to engage in a positive way online. Um, and it, it, it's it is it is affecting my love of the medium somewhat, uh, it, 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 which I never thought I'd say. But it, it kind of is because the the interactions you have with people. I mean, like obviously with with yourself and with Jordan and Noel and, and Mike and Paul, you know, etc. You know that, that that whole crew. I'm obviously not talking about that, but just in the kind of the wider community. And the Canyons does feel like a film born of that kind of rancid negativity and bile which seems to be spewed. People have almost been looking forward to it being released 
so they could tell people how terrible it is. And yeah. I, I kind of watched it and thought, uh, you know, we'll lead into the film in a second, but um, I watched it and thought, you know, I, I don't see how this could in any way elicit such a strong response because there's so, yes, right. there's so little there for it to, for people to get so angry about. It's not like anybody is championing this movie and saying that it's amazing. It's not like it's being nominated for awards. It's not like it costs an obscene amount of money. It's not taking screen time from anything else. It essentially is a little bit of a of an ego project from two very unsettled and a little bit kind of contrarian and damaged bitter you know, men. Um, you know, Schrader's best work is well behind him. Um, hmm. You know, the last good. Um, well, I mean, in saying that, I'll be honest. I, I didn't mind Dominion, the uh, prequel, The Exorcist that he did. Uh, Autofocus is a great film, uh, but you know, you going back sort of for when he was producing good films and good scripts. You could argue that it's twenty odd years ago, twenty five years ago. Um, yeah, no, I, sorry, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I was just, I was just agreeing, really. Yeah, um, it, it I, I mean, I, I suppose the thing is, I mean, basically, the people who are, rea- are reacting angrily to the film are seem to be people who are already a bit angry and a bit bitter about the industry mm. anyway, and it's almost like the film's put in a mirror up to them and they're not liking what they yeah. see. So, so they kick out I mean, at it. Yeah, that, that, that seems to be my yeah, impression. The thing anyway. is, is with the kind of, I'm actually, I've been looking forward to the camions, um, in, in a very bizarre way, um, because I was interested to see what, what it was going to be. Um, you know, the, the trailers, the fact that the, 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 the couple of trailers that were released painted two very different movies. And I think that was very intentional. Uh, and the first trailer had nothing of the movie in it. So I, I was interested to see, because of the people involved, you know, and I thought, well, it's an hour and 40 minutes, and I, I, I expect nothing of it. So, you know, what have you got for me? Um, and, and, I mean, I suppose getting into the film yep. itself, uh, what, what is there? It, it, like you say, is not oh. a lot. Um, it's... It's a direct-to-video erotic thriller. Yeah, it's it's a very it's a very amateurish, um, like I say, erotic thriller with a very recognisable lead within the film. Um, I mean, the idea is you've got just to give a rough outline of the plot, um, people is. James Dean, uh, who is an adult movie star, uh, plays Christian, who is a trust fund kid who has decided to spend some of his trust fund on becoming a movie producer. Um, he's your typical douchebag. Um, and he has a girlfriend played by Lindsay Lohan called Tara. And at the start of the film, he's having dinner with his uh, assistant, um, Gina, and her boyfriend, Ryan, who has managed to land the lead in the film that Christian is producing with the help of Christian, his assistant, and Tara. Uh, 
during this meal, Christian basically outs that him and Tara have a sexual relationship where they invite strangers along to partake in their sexual relationship. And remember, people, we're all spoilers all the time. As the film goes on, you find out that Tara and Ryan have a previous relationship and possibly a future relationship, and that Christian is a bit of a controlling douchebag. That's about it. And, and that's it for the entire that film. Is it. There's some murder yes. for no real reason no, it whatsoever. Makes no sense at all. Um, There's I don't know. It, it, boobs. Like, yeah. Yeah, there, there is. There's, there's um, boobs. Um, there's James Dean's Wang. Oh, Gus Van Sant shows up at one point. Yeah, Gus Van Sant shows up in a one-scene cameo, which is bizarre. I mean, I, the I, thing I, is, I, I do have one. Just, just quickly while we're doing a, yeah. there was these points, bits, and then we'll get back into the actual film. There's a point, right, about a third of the way through the film, where um, Nolan Jarfunk uh, is. Is is being having photographs taken of him in just a very small pair of um of well it, it's a banana hammock I think really isn't it essentially yeah yeah um yeah. and it's never explained why and it just seemed like it, that was Brett Easton Ellis when I could get a man that I find attractive a, a banana hammock here there we go return yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it. the thing is, I mean, we we sound pretty low energy on this. In fact, probably the lowest energy like review we've ever done. But there is nothing the film. to talk no, about. It, it, I mean, I'll give it credit. It, some of the sets look pretty at some points, but it, it's it's shocking that somebody as you know as revered a, a writer. Uh, I don't know. It, it's a different medium writing films as it is to to, to writing uh, novels, but. You know, when you when you go back and you look over um, British analysis, his you know his book work, you know, less than zero rules of attraction, American Psycho, Luna Park, um, the, you know, these are very revered and very critically successful movies. I mean, movies, um, books. You know, American Psycho is one of the most lauded pieces of alternative American um, fiction of its time. Um, and yet here we have a, a script which is so barren of of intrigue, of character, of, of any of these things that that made uh, Ellis's you know literary work so engrossing. There's no detail in this film. It's it's very broad strokes. Um, and then schrader you know there's some bits that look nice but is that because of schrader or is just that just out of sheer chance um it just feels like you know a, a guy you know who for schrader who has been around the the cinema world since the the mid 60s uh and he's nearly 70 years old and ellis who is nearly 50 it, it just feels so amateuristic and naive and a, a little bit a little bit youthful but not in a good way um a little bit what's the word i'm looking for um a little bit immature 
Yeah, okay, really. sure. You know, there's there's no need for the for the graphic, well, the semi-graphic sex. If you can do graphic sex, do graphic sex. Don't almost do graphic sex. And, you know, for an erotic thriller, there's very little eroticism there and almost no thrilling points. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I just... I don't know, man. I, like, I... I... You know, I mean, I, yesterday, I, I watched this yesterday. I also watched Monsters University yesterday. It's the only time Monsters University and the <laughs> Canyons will ever be uh, talked about in the same sentence. But yeah, it, I just watched Monsters University and it, it was just like a great, like Paul Schrader was, like a great talent. And I mean, with Monsters University, I just mean Pixar. Mm. Just going, just churning out, you know, just just franchise me. You know, and, and and that's what Monsters University is. It's a it's an uninspired effort, which but it does get by, admittedly, on the fumes of past glories. And uh, you know, and I mean, to be honest, Paul Schrader has been getting by on the fumes of past glories for about the last thirty mm. years. Um, and, and, and I mean, here it is, it is. Yeah, I mean, there's not an ounce of kind of visual wit to it. Um. You know, I mean, like, I know some people pointed out that, um, that, that some, sometimes the characters talk directly to camera as if it's like FaceTime on an iPhone. And it's like, I actually think that's reading too much into yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think that is that is people seeing stuff that, that isn't necessarily there. There's a, I mean, there is a scene very much uh, where Ryan's walking um, from his car through a hotel up to a uh, an office above the hotel to see a guy that he works for. And the way that it's shot and the, the narrowness of the corridors and everything like that, um, I was watching it going, right, so Paul Schrader saw Drive and then filmed this scene the next day then. Because it was it was so painfully obvious that that was a cue for him and that was an idea it was so lifted with the the fact that the the soundtrack goes very electro for that moment and then for the rest of it is slightly different it, it, it just yeah and the fact that i'm doing that thinking god this is a this is a poor schrader film and i'm, I'm sat there going well that's quite clearly the aesthetic they were going for at that particular moment very few other moments they're going for that but that moment it, it, it didn't it didn't remind me of that in a good way it reminded me of that in a oh really kind of yeah, way yeah, yeah. yeah it, it just it's um i i don't know i mean like lindsay lohan kind of running on fumes as well um i think i think that's coke fumes just, um, yeah probably she, is um, she's She's not, she's not utterly terrible. No, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be as nice as to say she's good. No, not really. And I mean, James Dean, he has one note, mm. and he plays it well enough, mm. I suppose. Even though he's constantly just on a kind of a a, a fake level. You never ever know in any bit whether what he's saying is the truth. Yeah, I, I think I, I I don't think that's the writing. That's just because he is quite bad at doing the dialogue, and he does it in a 
vacuous, not really there tone. Yeah, I mean, he's not. I mean, he's 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 from this. You know, he's from the internet generation of adult movie stars. So he's not. He's probably done very few in his in his fourteen hundred or whatever it is um, scenes he's done. He's probably done very little actual even porn star acting. He's very much a come on screen, fuck, and then finish kind of actor, porn actor. So there's not even that awkwardness. He's not. He's not again like Lon. He's not utterly awful. Um, he's just not very good. But then again, it's is he not utterly awful because you've got Nolan Jad Funk who is just terrible in in the movie. Um, and the worrying thing is, is he's actually you know he's actually in other films. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, God, really is he? Um, yeah, unfortunately, he is. I, I I actually want to move on, Mark, to be honest. It, it it's it's a depressing film to have to talk about. It it, it, it is it's not very good, is it? I mean it, it it's it, it's not just us jumping on a bandwagon here. Because uh, if you listen to the show you know that we're not we're not usually bandwagon jumpers. And if there was anything, if there was any little flicker of anything uh, in there um, to pick up on, you know, we would try and pick up on that, and we would try and sort of highlight that, but but sadly, there just isn't. Um, yeah, yeah, Nolan Gad Funk is going to be in Riddick. Fuck. I know. I hope, he, I hope he gets killed very, very early on. Uh, yeah, the only thing I can see people latching onto is to try and make something of the um, the fact that there's shots of, of cinemas, disused cinemas, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and they are very nice and everything like that, and it's very good. But if you want to see um, images of disused cinemas or anything like that, then just Google um, disused cinemas. There are actually websites out there that are, are just pictures of these these things. Um, and please do not attempt to read anything into it that, that those images are in any way the filmmakers trying to say anything, because if they are, then they are shitting over their own um, ideology by tagging it into a film that is just so bland, it, it, it struggles to be bad. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, uh, that's, that's, I, mean, I don't know, I mean, I, I think the cinema in, in imagery kind of is interesting it's interesting in a kind of a snake eating its own tail mm. way i just i i i think it is an angry farewell from schrader i i don't see where he goes after this like professionally frankly like who would actually give him money after this um or or or, or personally for him it just kind of feels like he's made a state a, a weird statement with this with this and now he's done um and it, it's a film i don't want to think about ever again because it just it and people's reactions to it including mine my own depress mm. me it it is it is the exact kind of worst video on demand release yeah yeah i mean it's 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 what vi like a video on demand what it was, it was feared video on demand was going to be. 
that that is this kind of film. I mean, like you look at it like in in the last uh, well last week anyway. I mean, Drinking Buddies also came out. I talked about that on the show last week, and that's really fun. It is slight, and you know, if you did watch it on the cinema you, in the cinema, you might feel a little bit shortchanged. But as a VOD release, it's absolutely fucking spot on. I mean, only God forgives was VOD in the US for Christ's mm. sake. You know, you know. So I mean, like that's what VOD can be, and VOD is the future. And and, and I think for film fans. They should be excited because it because frankly it means you're not going to have to go to the cinema anymore. Yeah. You know, which which, um, which, which 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 for often can be a blessing. Yeah, yeah, uh, which is which is depressing in itself. You know, I mean, like it's the whole the whole landscape is shifting and it's shifting very very quickly. Well, I mean, for me, the way I view uh, VOD at the moment, uh, right? Well, we'll I'll, I'll, what we'll do is we'll we'll put a. We'll fucking we'll put a pin in uh, canyons now and say it's shit. shit. It is it is just just shit. So what I'd say is if you really want to watch it, watch it. But we warned you. But also yeah, yeah. as well, honestly, there is no point in getting wound up about it because it contains nowhere near enough substance or anything to even warrant your vitriol. Yeah, um, but uh, right. I mean, um, we are in in a, in a wonderful age of VOD, and the fact is, you know, it, I remember when it, when you couldn't just go online or click on Netflix and flick through. You know, Netflix is like having it. It really is like having a a, a video library in your own home. It's amazing, and the fact that we're getting VOD releases with iTunes and, and stuff like this, it's it's wonderful, and it it. it it very much feels like VOD can do for independent cinema, and not not necessarily just low budget, but you know, lower budget. So I'm not just talking the under a million dollars and the those kind of things, but even the five six million dollar movies um, that get made, it can do for those type of movies what VHS did in the you know the early and mid eighties. Did for independent cinema then, you know, when you got things, for instance, like The Evil Dead found a home, even to the point of where, you know, people like um, Jean Claude Van Damme found a career springboard and things like mm. that. It, it, it can be this this playground for filmmakers who don't want to be told what they have to make, like Refin with Only God Forgives, but also on the same arc, it can. It could also be the the more fun and direct to your you know your home way of getting a a fun Saturday night flick out there you know so you don't have to watch the blockbuster on DVD or on Sky that you went to see at the cinema a year ago you don't have to watch that again you can watch something you know different. Yeah no I, yeah no absolutely I mean. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of VOD. I'm a big fan of Netflix. And um, it just, uh, you know, especially during the summer months um, when people complain about their, like, it, it being five screens of the Wolverine and four screens of Pacific Rim and, you know, whatever. I mean, it, it, it is coming to the point now where, you know, I used to be a massive um, advocate for uh, for going to the cinema. And now I, I it is... 
you know, I mean, like, because I, I, I was hearing that people watching The Conjuring, which came out in the, in the UK this weekend, those outside the UK, um, apparently there have been very bad experiences in The Conjuring for, for people. Like, I, I speak to on Twitter and whatnot. I know um, Mark Hermo had actually put up, a, like, a blog piece about it that he went to see it um, at, like, a mixed press slash word of mouth kind of screening. And um, apparently there were members of the press or, or press in speech marks who were being um, shitty about it as well. You know, um, I mean, it's it is and it is coming to the point. It's just, well, you know, just watch stuff on demand. You know, and I mean, it's not just for that film fans, but I mean, critics as well, to an extent. Uh, this isn't on demand. But, I mean, um, George uh, McGrath, uh, he watches a lot of stuff for Verite, um, his uh, his digital film magazine uh, through this service festival scope where, um, you know, it's like if online professionals want access to. Uh, films they pay you seventy pound a month, and there's an awful lot of well cinema stuff on there, and some of the stuff he's told me is on there. It, it's it, it sounds cracking, so you know it, it's every, you know personal or professional. You're starting to have these options where you can just watch the stuff at home. You can cur- curate whatever it is that you want yourself. Mm. And, it, and, and I mean, frankly, if you're not bothered about seeing stuff right there and then that weekend. You don't have to go to the cinema if you if you're prepared to wait a few months. You don't have to go anywhere. Yeah, and it, it, it is there also is that culture I think within cinema of I've got to see it first. I've got to see this as as soon as possible, and it's not necessarily because they're looking forward to it. Um, it, it often can just be the case of being able to say, "I've seen this. Who wants to fucking touch me?" It is that thing. It's like. Yeah, yeah, hang on a minute. Yeah, yeah. Are you shouting about the fact that you've just seen Despicable Me two before me? I, I don't care. But then people will still, that... still see it as this. You know, oh, I, I saw this film two days before anybody else, and I'm amazing. No, I, I mean, it's it, it, it's one of those things where I'm I'm not bothered about going to Fright Fest. I'm not bothered about um, going to LFF in a professional capacity. You know, it it just it, it I I can wait now. You know, like I've had such massive changes in my life over the last few months that I I can wait. And I I think I used to be one of those people who was just like, who I've seen it first, who wants to touch me. I, I, I kind of do think I was, and I was, you know, a dick in doing that. Um, whereas now, I mean, it, it's interesting. The whole, the way we consume films, the way we talk about films, uh, you know, the way we talk to each other about films, it's all, it's all rapidly changing. And, and I mean, it, I mean, I, it even feels like, you know, in in ten years' time, film is not going to be the great cultural force that it was. You know, I, feel, I mean, like for economic factors, the fact that the the industry is is making safer and safer bets and is you know less money is being in, in, invested. Um, and, and, and I mean that down to the fact that it is going to be all on VOD. Basically, the interest. It, it sounds a bit pretentious, but like the more interesting work is probably going to be on VOD than it will be in the cinema. That, 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 that's just, I, I think what we're getting now is, is we're getting the point of where I think certain films, people are saying, right, well, we're not, do you know what? I'm not going to bother um, going to the trouble of getting 
it out there uh, and going to the expense of advertising yeah. in, you know, localised advertising, etc., to put out my film when I know that it's going to be up against this film that's advertising budget is going to be ten times our entire production budget. So there's kind of that thing of, right, instead of just doing that and wasting a lot of money, let's let's just drop it VOD and see how it goes. Like, yes, it might be damaging, but the thing is that there, is, there always are these little sort of four or five year shifts where everybody starts to panic and think that cinema's eating itself. And then out of it, what will happen is somebody will just drop, just a pure chance, something amazing and wonderful that in some way will reinvigorate it a little bit and we'll see this you know that this at the moment this blockbuster driven you know time that we've got at the moment you know people are already talking about it now as if saying this year it, it, this is the year where blockbusters there's been too many of them and it's meant that not one has stood out or not one has made a colossal amount of money because it's always been you know it's always had another one arriving two weeks later so that momentum well, just I mean, kind of flopped, and then people are already saying, "Well, Jesus Christ, what's happened in 2015 when all of these massive films diverge upon themselves?" And it, it, it's the thing of, well, fuck it, let's wait and see. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I yeah, I mean, I think that's fair, but I think, I think this year has been an example. Like Iron Man three did over a billion dollars uh, worldwide, but then I don't think anything has come even slightly close to that i mean like there's been a few that have made like 500 600 but iron man 3 is just so far beyond and in terms of quality i mean iron man 3 is my favorite blockbuster of the summer but i i think there are other blockbusters that are kind of close in quality yeah you know i mean like to be honest i think world war z is or world war z is probably getting getting on for that if if i'm honest you know um i mean I, I'm, I'm just having a look here i mean like the wolverine for instance i mean um you know it's in its second weekend in the u.s and it's already dropped nearly 60 percent it's it is I, I i think it is a bit of fatigue i mean even though that comes in the end of summer anyway but i think that the thing is it, 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 this this kind of summer isn't going to make studios think well maybe we should maybe we should have a rethink and and maybe you know make smaller films it's not that it's it is unfortunately going to be in terms of blockbuster cinema put more money into less films but yeah it, it, that's, it will be that's going to be the lesson it will be that were. it will be instead of let's have instead of having three temple pictures um scheduled for release the following year it'll be two temple features it, it will do that. Super, um, and yeah, it, it yeah, won't exactly. be that, our, you know, we'll spend that other spare, you know, 150 million, we'll, you know, we'll give that to five films, we'll make for 30 million each. They might go, well, we've got to spare 150 million, so we'll, we'll give this to that. You know, there might be a little bit of that. But the other, they'll maybe go, well, actually, we'll just, we'll, we'll keep this other 80 million for a rainy day. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, like, the, the, I don't know. The more, in, yeah. I mean, I think the more interesting work is is 
um, VOD, and frankly, it couldn't come at a better time because, in in all honesty, you know, once once the little girl arrives, I, I you know going out to the cinema is not going to be as you know I, I watched two films in the cinema yesterday. I'm not going to be able to do that anymore, you know, and, and so it means just for dude and a monkey, you know. I mean, I I think, you know. We review a fair, like a, a good proportion of films that kind of are on VOD, um, and I, I think that's um, only going to get more so. I mean, if you count only God Forgives and, and this, um, um, I mean, certainly once we get out of blockbuster season, I, I think it could be like that. I don't know. It's it's an interesting time. I'm just not too sure whether I'm apprehensive or excited. It'll be, it'll be interesting to find. I mean, the funny thing is, is um... Once we get in a second, when we get into our one old one new, my one new uh, is a, another um, director VOD um, film, um, okay. but not of the same ilk of Only God Forgives and The Canyons. It's a very different type of film. It's a very different type of film in, in terms of you know of drinking buddies etc. Um, that we also spoke about. Um, so and I was actually going to watch Drinking Buddies, but I changed my mind because I thought I'd be boring if I talk about it after you talked about it. So, but um, yeah, I mean, VOD, I, I think I think I think we both agree it's a wonderful thing. Um, my caution about not the VOD, but about the impact that VOD might have where studios decide to maybe where we have the up to sort of eight million scripts they get made and they get pushed to to VOD and then they look and say right well if anything's above that you know where do we go do we still make 50 60 million dollar movies or do we start to tone that down and just focus more of our attention into these these bigger movies you know and do we lose that which can often be the great cinema um so but, you know, who knows? It's a very hard thing to predict is, is, is cinema, um, of, of how trends will go. You never never really know. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean I'll, I'll, say, I'll say something now. I mean, like, for at least the next month until, like, the Oscar season film's coming out, the thing I'm most looking forward to in pop culture terms is getting through Bioshock Infinite. Yeah, well... You know? Yeah, you, you, I mean, your wife's playing The Last of Us. That's probably the most exciting thing um, uh, that, like she's looking forward to over the next month in terms of pop yeah, culture. Like I said, there's nothing at the moment, you know, there's, there's a few things that I'm interested in seeing. Or, well, no, there's a few things that I will, you know, that I will see, but there's nothing that I'm chomping at the bit to go and see. You know, we've got the Alf Papa movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that in a way. Um, but, you know, Kick-Ass 2... Um, Am I that bothered about it? No, I'm that looking forward to it. Eh. Um, I mean, Elysium's had some rather surprising mixed words. Yeah, I'm, I, I've never been as convinced by Elysium as, as, as many others. Um, but then again, I'll be honest, um, all the early word for District 9, I was very much like, it don't appeal to me at all. And then I adored it when I actually watched it. So, mm-hmm. you know... Fuck it! I'll 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 I've stopped the trailers and everything for releasing now. I just want to see the damn film. But anyway, that's that's um. Should we, should we, we should move on? Move on. Yes, we 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 tangented a lot there. Um, we managed to talk about our feature length film for for nearly an hour, and maybe actually spoke about our feature film for about ten minutes of that. 
Um, yeah. So here are some promos for um, other podcasts that we like and respect. Hi, I'm Sarah from GorePress.com, and along with my co-host Phil, we present the GorePress Gorecast. But Sarah, what is the GorePress Gorecast? Well, Phil, I'm glad you asked. It's a weekly show in which we review horror movies, discuss our love for the genre, and generally just blunder through, showcasing our startling ineptitude at podcasting. Hello, and welcome to another... Go- oh, for fuck's <laughs> sake, no, that's not helping! That sounds ridiculously professional. That can't be all we do, can it? It certainly isn't. We also try and talk a little bit about what we've watched recently and selflessly plumb the depths of B-Movie Hell so we can inform you, our loyal listeners, about what to watch and what to avoid. Well, that just sounds dandy. Where could I find such a podcast? Well, Phil, you can subscribe to us by searching for the new Gorepress Gorecast in iTunes or you can find us at gorepress.com. It was a childhood corrupted by endless hours of VHS rentals. We're sick to manage it, you'd love it. In his most formative years, he had seen it all. I could handle anything. Action. Karate is not to be used aggressively, but if I have no other choice. Horror. And romance. Now, he's decided it's time to go back. For just one more adventure. Humans are such an easy prey. Noel Miller presents... You're the problem, you little shit! The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Join me, Noel Miller, as each month I take an in-depth look at one movie from my collection of ex-rental 80s VHS classics and speak to one or two of the people involved with making them about what the format means to them. The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Thank you. Have a nice day. Download today from iTunes by searching for Adventures in VHS or visit adventuresinvhs.com. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and hard cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really it's isn't. not visually striking. No. I'm just just getting confirmation. It's just in That's the third time though. I mean, am I, is this on? You can find us at chinstrokerversuspenser.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. He wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. So, uh, Ian, do you want to give us uh, your one old or one new? I will start with... What am I going to start with? 
what am I going to start with? Okay, I'll start with my one old-ish. Because um, I've definitely seen some bits of this film before, but not other bits of this film before. Uh, the film is 1990's Tremors. Oh, yes. Uh, so, yeah, this is actually a favourite of my wife's. Um, not uh, not insignificantly because of uh, Kevin Bacon. Um, now, so, yeah, uh, watch the Blu-ray of this, which um, we've had for about two or three years, but it was still in its shrink wrap. Um <laughs> But uh, we we got round to it, and I've got to say, actually, um, not a bad Blu-ray transfer. Uh, pretty solid. Um, yeah, story is, uh, if for those who haven't seen it, Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward are two kind of handy men uh, working in this town called Perfection. Uh, they're about, uh, well, they're in the process of kind of leaving the town for pastures new, where they come across a man uh, dead, uh, kind of like who's climbed up an electricity pylon. And uh, it kind of goes on from there. It turns out that there are these big worm-like creatures attracted by vibration that have uh, managed to find their way to perfection. And they um, start going through the townsfolk while they, led by Bacon and Ward, try to uh, figure out how they're going to get out. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's a great deal of fun. Uh, again, it's 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 a rather slight film, but um, Bacon and Ward make uh, a, a pretty fucking entertaining team. Um, th- their, their interactions are are solid. I I, I like their dynamic. Um, the supporting cast uh, are uh, are fun. You know, you got Gun Nuts. You've got the local um, man of uh, of um, Asian persuasion. Uh, mm. And uh, you've got an annoying kid and Lex from Jurassic Park, uh, which was weird. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, this was the only kind of like old film I, I, I like film I'd watched before since we recorded on Wednesday. So I don't have a great uh, great amount to say about it. It's just a a film which is very entertaining during its ninety four or so minutes and then gets the fuck out of Dodge. Um, I, and uh, I mean, what do you, what do you think, Mark? Um, I've not watched it since um, since watching it on TV in the the early nineties. Uh, but I remember it being one of those um, those films that, again, like like many others, that was on TV probably a couple of times a year. Um, and it was it was one of those things where you always watched it, uh, and then you know you talk about it the next day at school with your friends about oh, do you remember this bit went this bit bit this thing and this bit that. And I think for a lot of people, sort of you know. Um, sort of around our age, Tremors might have been kind of one of the earliest sort of horror films that they were introduced to. Um, and it is very much a comedy horror, but I I remember enjoying it. Um, it's now kind of jogged my memory about the film, talking about it, so I have no doubt that in the next couple of weeks I'll end up watching it again, because I too actually I've got it on, um, I think I've got it on Blu-ray as well. Yeah, okay, nice. So I, 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 but I have actually also seen the... Um, the sequels as well. You have seen the sequels. How are they? That just get worse and worse and worse. Uh, I think if I if if I am right, I think the fourth is a prequel. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The something begins. Yeah, or something. And that's actually the most fun I had with the the sequels. Uh, but that was fairly recent, I think, in comparison to the other ones. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it was like the latest yeah. off. Um, uh, and I remember having a bit of fun with that. There, you know, two was all right. Three's just fucking awful, and four was fun enough. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I don't have any. I wouldn't rush to go. Um, no, no, I, I, no, no. Um, I don't know. That's. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is such a low energy one uh, this week, folks. At least for me. I don't know. I'm just a bit. Nah, I don't know. I think I need some sleep or something. Um, uh, Mark, do you want to move on to your? Uh, I will. I'll move on to my one. My one new um, first because um, mainly because my one old is 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 a fantastic film, and I think it would be a, a better one for me to end on. Um, I watched Killing Season, um, which is the um, John Travolta, Robert De Niro kind of out in the wild, Hunter versus Hunter, you know, fighting against each other film. Um, the idea is you, you start off the film with a young De Niro um, who uh, is in the American military work for NATO um, and he's in Bosnia. Um, and he comes comes across quite obviously uh, John Travolta's character who who at the time remember all spoilers all the time but trust me if you've seen the fucking trailer this spells nothing um who plays a a serbian soldier who it turns out is a member of one of the serbian um death squads who were responsible for some pretty atrocious happenings in the um in you know, in that particular war in the serbian civil war there um you know there was there was a lot of wars going a lot going around in that kind of eastern block in the late eighties to early nineties. Uh, this kind of focuses on one of them. Uh, the idea is that at the start of the film, uh, De Niro's and his troops capture uh, Travolta and his, and basically gun them down in execution style. Um, mm. But it, it, it ambiguous about whether or not De Niro bottled shooting Travolta or not, uh, and then it flashes to present day, which is of course like twenty odd years later, uh, and De Niro has become somewhat of a recluse. Uh, he lives in in the mountains um, in Tennessee. Uh, lives out in sort of like the wilderness there has very little contact with anybody. Um, there's a bit where he speaks to his son on the phone and basically insists that he can't come and sort of to his grandson's baptism because he's got too much on. We've just had scenes of him passing the time by like going to bed at nine o'clock at night and getting up at six in the morning and going hunting, but he doesn't hunt. He now takes photos of animals rather than killing them. And then we get Travolta appears um, to get his revenge. Um, and then you get Travolta versus De Niro for the next kind of hour, essentially, where they're both trying to tell each other who was the worst in the war and who committed the bigger atrocity than the other one, whilst also unloading a lot of fucking personal baggage they've got. This sounds like a fucking laugh a minute. Yeah, it, 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 it is <laughs> a little hell? bit like that. <laughs> Um, yeah. Now the thing about this film is, 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 it it could have been quite, 
you know, a good film. But John Travolta has decided to put on the most obvious Eastern European accent you've ever heard. At <laughs> all. It, it, it is, he's talking and you're going, oh my God, please, please, just, just, why? 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 I mean, De Niro must have been stood there at some point and thought, oh, God, really? Really? Seriously, is this what he's doing? Is he going to do this? Because he essentially does this all the way through film. With anything he say, he say like this. And this is what he has decided that people in Eastern Bloc talk like all the way through. That sounds fucking Honestly, honestly, that, I'm, I'm... I'm going to be honest with myself, that's a pretty good impression of Travolta in this film. Oh, uh, it, no. is, it is just this. <laughs> really, it is. It is like that all with the film. And it really is. And it's not helped by the fact that, do you remember as a kid, did you have one of those, it was like an Etch-a-Sketch thing, but it was a picture of a man's face, and then you put, you basically moved bits round to put iron filings on to give him hair and a beard and stuff like that. Did you ever have one of those? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I did. Right. Yes. That's John Travolta is now the human version of that. His his hair and his beard are incredible because they just look like felt. They look like they look like it's all been stuck on at the same time, like they like they right. built him from scratch and then installed like some kind of weird chip in him that makes him talk like an Eastern Bloc generic. And the thing is, is De Niro actually isn't that bad in this. You know, his story is quite good. You know, he essentially is, you know, he was a career soldier and this war broke him. And it's, it's caused him to hate himself and he doesn't want to be around anybody. And it essentially has broken him. And there's actually... One of the better um, scenes in the film is the bit where De Niro gets mad at one point. And right. A lot of the film is Travolta captures De Niro. De Niro escapes. De Niro captures Travolta. Travolta escapes. And it, then De Niro captures Travolta again. And then guess what? He escapes. And that's a little bit what it's like. And you're kind of going, well, these guys are... Career soldiers, and they know all of these amazing survival tactics and all of these amazing tactical things to do things and all of this. Yet they'll do things that are so obviously big mistakes, like forget to check that someone is actually knocked out, or accidentally cut through something when they're not supposed to, and stuff like this that you're thinking, God, this is just this is clearly written by somebody who. It, it, who has no idea what it's actually been like to have been in the military. Yeah. Um, it, 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 the thing is, it's not a complete bust. It's an hour and a half long, um, so it's not long enough to be just, you know, to outstay its welcome. De Niro's alright. Travolta is, his character at least, is interesting, um, if not very distracting because of his voice and his hair. And the story is actually quite good. Um, 
it, it's just let down by attempting to have these little bursts of action that make very little sense. And Travolta's choice of voice, really. Mm. Um, so I, I can see why they decided to not release it in cinemas. If I paid to go and see it at a cinema, which I probably would have done because I, I still adore the Nero, no matter what his output is, um, then I'd have been a little bit more disappointed than I was. But what I will say is, for the De Niro purists, um, there's, there's stuff to have out of this film. De Niro has moments where you go, oh, so he, he, he still does still have it. Why isn't he? Why doesn't he have it in better films? You know, why is you know does he have an agent anymore? Um, why isn't he a little bit more picky? Because he likes money and likes supporting his film festival. Yeah, that, that is it. It's it, it, you know he he does he, he likes his the fact that he's got a lot of property, the fact that he owns most of the Tribeca district, you know, and his film festival does a lot for you know it, it's the way he can do things for smaller independent cinema is the Tribeca Film Festival and a, a lot of money that he pumps into New York theatre. If doing sort of this um, and the big wedding and stuff like that is his way of giving something back, then, you know, fine, fair enough. But, you know, I, I just hope that at some point we get we get to enjoy another great era. Yeah, I hopefully one mm. day. Isn't he fucking? Isn't it him who's going to be in that um, film with Sylvester Stallone about um, retired yeah, boxers? Which is kind of a comedy. You see, I'm really looking forward to that. That yeah, that could be. That could be yeah, interesting. That is, that is essentially my two movie movie heroes in a film together. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. But what I'll say is, is it, nothing would make me happier than to uh, a flick on Twitter one morning and see it saying confirmed De Niro and Scorsese team up once again. You know, that would be like, oh, oh, yes. Yep. All my cynicism of modern cinema is gone. And it would give me something yeah. truly to look forward to. Um, I really hope it happens at some point. Or that he does something with, with somebody... With a decent filmmaker, because to be honest, I mean, Mark Stephen Johnson, the, the director of, of, of Killing Season, his his CV's not terrible, you know. In, in terms of well, as a director, it's it's not great. I I, 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 I take that back. His CV's kind of awful. It really is. Mm-hmm. You know, he di- yeah, yeah, he directed Daredevil, a Ghost Rider, and When in Rome. Yeah, that. Oh God, did he direct When in Rome? That is that Kristen, Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell and Josh Donnell. Josh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, bloody hell. Yeah, so, um, Ian, um, what's your one new? new. Yeah, new. Yeah, it was your, it, it, it was your <laughs> one old, but it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your one? Yeah, new? sorry. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, <laughs> pardon me. So, um, yeah, but. Uh, I already talked about Monsters University. Uh, we're, we're doing a full review of The Conjuring on um, 35 Minute Heroes, so I'll, uh, I'll skip that. So instead, 
continuing my uh, run of modern cinema shit that I seem to be on <laughs> this week. Um, uh, a film that's playing Fright Fest, um, which gives a measure of its quality to an extent. Uh, this is Frankenstein's Army, which is on US VOD. Um, uh, just, just, just a quick thing. Are there any films that are playing um, that are playing Fright Fest that you won't have been able to see before the Fright Fest festival starts? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's There's an alarming amount already out there. Yeah, like I, I, I should be getting tickets for this uh, for a word of mouth screening of your next uh, two days before Fright Fest, um, and that's that. And we are what we are are the two that I'm actually most intrigued about, to be honest. But I mean, like I've seen VHS two, uh, I've seen Hatchet Free, I've seen No One Lives. Uh, I've seen Frankenstein's Army now. I saw Painless at LFF last year, and it's bollock yogurt. Um, but I mean, to be honest, though, I mean, like, I'm I'm three out of five so far. No one lives Hatchet Two and v- uh, Hatchet Three and VHS Two will all be very good on the Big Fright Fest screen. Which moves us on to Frankenstein's yes. Army, uh, which is playing on the Saturday. Story is, it's a found footage film set in World War Two. Uh, except, apart from little transition-y bits, it all looks like it was filmed with modern-day <laughs> digital cameras. Have you seen this? <laughs> no, kind of one of that, to be honest. Um, yeah, um, and basically, uh, a guy is, uh, well, he's a Russian soldier, and he's with a bunch of Russian soldiers. They're searching for another group of Russian soldiers, and they just so happen to come across an army of uh, creations created by Dr. Frankenstein, who's working with the Nazis. Right. Um, it, it, it's the kind of film that um, some Fright Fest uh, uh, goers will enjoy. Um, it, it, it's got vision. Of creature design coming up, uh, coming up the wazoo. It's it's very very impressive. Some of the creature design in this. Um, th- I mean, that's the single impressive element about the film. Uh, the rest of it is incredibly turgid, considering it's only about eighty five minutes long. Um, it does. I mean, it doesn't take that long to get going, but basically, it's set up. Monsters attack, someone dies, people have a go at each other and they're generally horrible to to each other. Monsters appear to come out of nowhere and just appear in the room, which isn't like there's no like time space continuum stuff going on. It's just shoddy continuity. Uh, They appear. It's all loud. People get killed. Rinse and repeat. Um. It, it, it's it, 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 it's it, there, there's nothing to it. There's absolutely nothing to it. The found footage aspect makes so little sense that it, it, I mean it's barely even worth talking about. Um, it, it's anticlimactic to the extreme. It, it feels like it does just kind of feel like they ran out of money and stopped. Um, 
it, it's the kind of rubbish that Fright Fest um, has to play because they have to fill the schedule with something. It, it does seem from looking at it, I mean, just from the um, from the posters and stuff like that, like it's very much trying to make it look like this year's Iron Sky. Is it anything like that? No, because it's not fun. Cool. Iron Sky. I actually kind well, of I, enjoy I, I, I enjoyed Iron Sky as well. Yeah. It it, it it it's ridiculous, but it I don't know. The, the, the thing is, I mean, like where where Frankenstein's Army is, it's quarter past one on the Saturday, uh, which is the same time slot as the Wicker Tree had. Um, uh, either last year or the year before, I can't remember. Um, and it you know it's basically. The, the time slot where I mean Christ it's playing against Willow Creek the Bobcat Goldthwait mm. film in the Discovery screen why how that is in the Discovery screen I haven't seen Willow Creek but I've heard good things and Bobcat Goldthwait's going to be there and he's very very entertaining to listen yeah. to so on on those merits alone how Willow Creek isn't playing in the in the main screen and Frankenstein's Army is in the Discovery screen I don't know. I mean, I'm even looking at the, um, the 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 picture on uh, on on the Fright Fest website for Frankenstein's Army, and it like that picture looks an awful lot more glossy than the actual film is. Um, it, it, it it's I mean, I'm just reading what it actually says. It call it a historical hostel on Hammer Horror steroids cyberpunk by way of classic universal monster mayhem or found footage taken to the next level this inventive old style freak show with gore guts and gunplay is a midnight movie audience's wet dream and instant cult classic um whoever wrote that report them to the trading standards authority what i say there is one thing that, that always annoys me is when people call something a cult film before it's been released you know, you can't become a cult film until after you've been released. If you're trying to make a cult film, then you're not going to make a cult film because you're intentionally trying to create something that has to happen organically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, I, the thing is, don't get me wrong. I actually, I actually think there are some potential highlights in, um, in this year's Fright Fest um, lineup. I'm not, I'm, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going myself, but. Um, I mean, Willow Creek, um, Haunter could could be all right, you know. Um, uh, the Last Days is apparently very good. We Are What We Are is apparently very good. I'm very excited for that myself. Big Bad Wolves is apparently very good. You know, I mean, it, there, there are things there. It just, you know, they've got free screens that they have to fill up. But it does baffle me somehow how they decide what to put in the main screen and what they decide to put in the discovery screen um i i i i, 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 just, I think it's dictated by certain other things i think i think yeah there's, there's I, I, an I, awful I lot of politics that goes on with it. there's an awful lot of politics that goes on and and to be honest frankly i wouldn't be surprised if it's just the case of a producer on frankenstein's army it are uh, it you know is is good friends with the fright fest lot. Yeah, I I I I think that could be what what it is, frankly. Um, but I mean it's 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 shit. 
but the creature design means that some will get some out of it. And there are moments where you're like, well, what the fuck was that then? You know, which, which are quite, which are quite funny, but it just, it so with a big audience after, you know, a, a few afternoon beers, could it, could it, well, it's on at quarter past one in the afternoon after a few morning beers. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's I, I, it, it's a weird time for this one to be on. Mm. Uh, to, to be honest, but um, yeah, if you were pissed, maybe, maybe. But it's not that fun. All <laughs> oh, right, all oh, right. It's not. Is it not? Is it not as fun as the title would suggest? Uh, no. No, it's just it's it's like it, it takes itself very like utterly oh, seriously. Oh, Utterly seriously, it's not campy at all. It's just it, it's basically film, just Frankenstein's army. If you're going to take yourself seriously, no. But I mean, like that fright fest kind of write up thing seems to be saying that you know you know it's just guns and gore and mayhem. You know, it's not. It's people screaming calling each other fucking blah, 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 fucking blah, 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 and the sound of drilling and people screaming. <laughs> that's that. I mean, that's basically what it is for 85 minutes. It's, it's shit. <laughs> cool. <laughs> right. Um, well, getting on to my one old. Um, oh, please be a good I, film. Well, it, it, I'll be incredibly surprised if you call this film shit. Um, okay. I started watching this film at eleven o'clock last night, um, and once they the title of this film, it will become apparent as to why that was not the brightest of moves. Um, I watched last night the, I would say the only the third time I've watched it, and bear in mind I watched this the day it came out at the cinema, and the day it came out on DVD, and this is the third time I've watched it, uh, and it's an incredible incredible movie and it gets better every time I watch it. It's 2007 David Fincher film Zodiac. Ah, cool. Yeah. Thank God you like it because I was about to, about to get very angry if you just said it on a match. That's it. Third time I've seen it so I've not seen it since kind of um, probably early 2008 I think. It, no, probably um, late 2007 probably uh, it'll have been. Um, I am Zodiac obviously is it a film about the Zodiac killer who was a serial killer in the late 60s and early 70s in San Francisco um, but it's not about him it's not about the Zodiac killer uh, because being honest very sort of little is actually known about the confirmed Zodiac killer because he's never actually been actually confirmed as being identified as being X person uh, there is a very strong theory that it is um, a gentleman called Arthur Lee Allen. Um, it, it is very much perceived by those who know best and investigated that it was him, uh, but he can never actually be absolutely identified. But the film is about the obsessions that developed with finding out who the Zodiac Killer was, um, principally um, by Robert Graysmith, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, who was a, a cartoonist at the San Francisco Chronicle, um, but was also a very keen um, siphon break and code cracker, and he did puzzles and stuff like that, and he, he took an interest within that, 
because Zodiac used puzzles in his taunting letters to, to various press associations. Uh, and you've also got Robert Downey Jr.'s Paul Avery, who was the crime reporter for the um, San Francisco Chronicle at the time. And also you've got Mark Ruffalo, who was the inspector charged with tracking down uh, the Zodiac killer. And it's kind of these three guys and how they um, they approached tracking down Zodiac and how it, it overtook their lives in a lot of ways. Uh, you've also got some fantastic cameos from people like Brian Cox appears, um, John Carroll Lynch appears in it as well, and then Dermot Mulroney, Elias Cortez, and Philip Baker, all people like that. Uh, but this is this is very much um, Fincher's film. It is. It looks gorgeous. It is quite simply the greatest use of CGI I think in any film ever. Uh, Fincher and the producers and the writer James Vanderbilt, um, they kind of almost did their own sort of investigation into into mm. Zodiac to kind of get an idea of right well this happened here, let's go and have a look at that location, and oh, we can't because there's something built there, right, well, let's have a look at these various different photographs, and not just had a look at the the police sort of crime scene photographs, they went back and tried to look for other photographs of the area at that time, so they could put a tree in the exact place it was, and try and have the, the leaves look exactly the way they would, and the attention to detail was just obsessive and incredible you know it, it mm. that kind of has filtered through it was very much a passion project for all of them uh and that's where the cgi came in you know the fact that a lot of these scenes were made up they do look like they've just gone to x location that looks like it but it isn't it's often a location that looks similar to it but then they've, they've taken away that bit that's been built there since replaced it with what was actually there and it, it, it's this is the way that that cgi is being used without you even noticing uh, and fincher is wonderful at doing that and that is he he's really the star of this film and the fact that this movie like i say i started watching at 11 o'clock last night and it's it, you know it's it's two and a half hours long well over two hours 40 minutes long and about an hour and 20 minutes into it i was so I'm thinking I'm I'm pretty tired now, but at no point did I ever think I'm going to turn it off, and at no point did I ever think I'm going to fall asleep. What I instead yeah. did was went and got a drink and sort of sat back down and started watching again because once you're dragged into this film, it it keeps you there, and the fact that it you it seamlessly goes from you start out and you're introduced to Zodiac, and then. Then you're introduced to um, to um, Robert Graysmith, and you think that it's, you're going to start following him, and then all of a sudden you, you realise, oh my god, actually, well, no, we're not. Well, where's where's Anthony Jardine? Like twenty odd minutes, and then you realise, oh my god, we're now following Ruffalo, um, and you realise that you're now following Ruffalo's story through it, and then Ruffalo's kind of falls back onto it, and then you go back into. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal's um, story again within it and also there's it, Fincher isn't scared to put filler in He's, he, he doesn't mind jumping forward to four years without saying a thing 
and it's this there's no compromising to try and make this a a more appealing film to watch for everybody it, you know i think this film's an incredible piece of work uh, i think it is quite simply stunning and like i said every time i've watched it i've liked it more and after this watch i was like i very much thought i don't understand a single reason why i haven't watched this movie in five years time in five years because it is it is brilliant um flies by it is absolutely incredible great performances great direction tense as hell the the scene where uh, jake gyllenhaal um goes to a lead that he's got on uh, on the zodiacs uh, where he thinks it's a guy called rick marshall uh oh, when he goes to roger yes. rabbit's house uh, yeah. There and he's there and he goes downstairs and you can hear knocking. With that, I know what happens in it. I've seen it before, um, and even I at that point was still very kind of tense and oh shit. And this is my third watch, so it's just a magnificent film. And you know, it's yes, it it didn't do as well as they expected box office wise but maybe it's because it's a, it's a serial killer movie where we don't get to find out who the serial killer is and as well it's a serial killer movie where the serial killer isn't the sort of the focus of it it's very much a procedural film which is about procedures and is obsessed with the procedures and indulges mm. in those procedures and it is just wonderful if you like that type of movie, which I really do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've got nothing to add, mate. I don't think you could have said that oh, better. Thank you very much. Um, right, so that was one of one news. As I say, we've not got a marathon film uh, this week just because of um, lifetime constraints. Um, so we will be back with our Spike Early Marathon uh, next week where we'll be talking about yep. He Got Game and then we'll be possibly unveiling who our next marathon will be and I, I, I say that like we have any idea we don't not no, a clue we we're not that organised at all uh, we do have a couple of Twitter questions there Plenty um, yep. Chapman uh, which movie beast would you like to see as the next Doctor which movie yeah. beast I don't know, the abominable snowman? I, 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 I'm going to say that that's a little bit of street lingo, and he means person. Um, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> um, who'd, be, who, who, who'd be a fun off-the-wall doctor if you could have sort of anybody? Michael Keaton. Oh, yeah. Do you know what? Can't top that. Yeah. Michael Keaton would be great. Michael Keaton should be in more movies. He's in uh, He's in The Need for Speed next year. I'm, then I'm looking forward to The Need for Speed. And Robocop. I am kind of looking forward to Robocop. <laughs> Some things annoyed me about Robocop. Uh, which, yeah. Which I'm not going to get in Nice. Um, I'm very cinematic. Uh, Tom says, "Would you rather have Raider Sharp Adamantine claws or a rock hard Adamantine cock?" 
asks a lot of dirty questions. He does, this doesn't song. he? I think I think he's insinuating something about our podcast. <laughs> Um, we, see, this was a question that I would kind of ask of uh, of, of Wolverine. Um, do you think Wolverine can jack off? Because he doesn't. It, well, yeah. If he doesn't have that much. He has. He has control over the claws. But when he does get angry or kind of emotion filled, the claws do come out. Do you reckon when he ejaculates, the claws just inadvertently come out? Or do you reckon he's learned to control that? Because that could be. You know, does that does that I reckon. I reckon he has to do the stranger. Like, he sits on his arms beforehand and then does it Ah, so that in his head he's not doing doing it. it. So when he. Or he just carries around a lot of torchlights. I'm going to go for the claws because I think they have more of a day to day use than the uh, the penis. Yeah, I don't think my wife would like it if I had a hard metal cock the entire time. Uh, My wife used it by now. Boom! Should listen to this podcast. It's all right. Um, I think that's all the questions. I think we only had two. Uh, it's why we shouldn't ask questions on the Sunday. Oh, what the shit! You. I'm gonna blame. I'm gonna blame Twitter silence. <laughs> Twitter silence that like everybody on my feed's talking about, you... but. I don't think anybody on my feed is actually no, doing. No, I, 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 like I say, um, I was. Basically offline for Thursday and Friday uh, because I was doing wedding stuff. Um, so I don't really know what this Twitter silence thing is. Uh, it, it's it's in su- support of like people who have been getting Twitter abuse and the, the kind of right. the, the general perceived misogyny of um, uh, of uh, Twitter, which oh. I, I would say the best way to tackle Twitter abuse is to... Ignore it and not retweet it every time and make such a big fucking deal out of it and give these people the attention they want. Uh, yeah, either that or just challenge yeah. them. You know, like, these, these these people doing Twitter abuse half the time, like, no, 90% of the time, frankly, I think they're probably people you'll never meet in real no. life. It, it, I, I, yeah. Um, I mean, some of the some of the best responses I've seen to Twitter reviews have been some of the ones that have been thrown at Stephen Fry. I'm not a, a, a huge Stephen Fry fan. I just don't dislike the guy, but I I don't think he's the national president. Some people claim he is. Um, but some of his responses to, to to Twitter reviews, and he gets some quite disgraceful stuff. Uh, it, are brilliant. Uh, yeah, I I mean like I. I... You know, people getting like death threats and whatnot. I mean, it, it, it's obviously terrible. It is, yeah. But, but are they not going on Twitter? Yeah. Is not going to solve anything. And also, there's not, not a tangible way of showing how effective a protest also, is. Well, not going on Twitter for a day. You know, yeah. I, either give up Twitter, which I hope people don't do, because it's a wonderful thing. Uh, is Twitter. And it is, to a slight extent, being spoilt by idiots a little bit at the moment. Uh, but the problem is, is the amount of people that I see uh, retweeting abuse that people have got to kind of to highlight the abuse that people get is a little bit like, yeah. now you're, you're giving energy to these people. You're giving notoriety to these people. And... People are seeing it as a way to get attention, and that's why they're doing it. They're not so far, you know. And I, I, I haven't had the death threats or anything like that. 
I've had a, a, a fair bit of Twitter abuse, and a lot of it I have baited, I'll be honest, because it used to be fun to bait Justin Bieber fans and One Direction fans. And it is amusing. Um, but let, let's be honest, you've kind of got to take the most of it with a pinch of salt. It's some dickhead 19, ill-educated 19-year-old with a fucking iPhone that his parents have bought him who has got fuck all better to do than to jump on a bandwagon and start sending desperate, which he has no intention. He's not actually going to kill somebody. These people aren't actually going to act on these things. Uh, I know it it might be unpleasant and everything like that, but in a way, you kind of got to just go, oh, do you shut up? <laughs> and just yeah. move, block them and fucking move on. And also, well, if you have those people who does that, just fuck off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We do have one more. Uh, oh, go on. From uh, Cookieman1970. Uh, been a few weeks since I've a question from him. Uh, been a few weeks since I've seen him around on Twitter. Maybe he's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a little enforced Twitter silence. Uh, so you've both dabbled with The Last of Us. Um, do you think certain games can give a cinematic experience? I've not actually dabbled with The Last of Us. My wife has. But uh, I am a big fan of the Uncharted games, which uh, are made by the same people who made The Last of Us. So, uh, yeah, I, I certainly think they can give a cinematic um, experience. Uh, I certainly, I think one of the reasons I'm not a huge gamer uh, at all. I, I enjoy my, my football games and that's about it, really. Uh, but I'm not a huge gamer. But the reason why I think I gravitated and enjoyed the uh, Uncharted games was, from the start off, I, the first Uncharted Becky bought for herself uh, and then they like it. So I decided to give it a go. And I, I think I got on really well with that because it felt cinematic and it felt like a film. And that's why I liked it so much. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that actually. It's um, the the Uncharted games are pretty great. Um, uh, the third one's a little bit more of the same, but I, I, Uncharted Two is like, I, I, apart from one section I wasn't too into, is like playing a blockbuster movie. For ten yeah. hours, you are, you are, you are you know, involved I, in, in the cutscenes. You are as much involved in them as you are watching them. Yeah, I mean, you, you do give a fuck. Um, I mean, the the Last of Us. I actually, um, I actually sold uh, my copy of the Last of Us to to yeah. Becky um, after playing it for about an hour, just because, like a film, I wasn't feeling the world. Uh, the gameplay was a little I, I I wasn't quite feeling that either, but the world of The Last of Us was quite I mean, I, somebody on Twitter said it's like playing Cormac McCarthy's The Road and I understand where that person's coming from. And being in that world for fourteen hours or so is not really my idea of fun. But I I, I, I might be um uh hoisting myself on my own petard when I say that um I'm going to be starting Bioshock Infinite this week because uh, I decided to uh, take the plunge and buy that. Um, and that's not a world that's too fun either. However, I have played and very much enjoyed the original Bioshock on a pure gameplay level. Um, so that coupled with what is supposed to be a pretty fantastic story 
uh, has me intrigued also. Yeah, well, I have Bex was the um, same. She, she loved the first Bioshock game, didn't like the second, and loved Infinite, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, so, there, there we go. It's weird, two weeks in a row that we've actually talked about games on the show, mm. but um, it's what it is, I Yeah, suppose. you know, you, they are becoming ever more influenced by films, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so... There we go. Not our, not like our usual conventional shows because of the the dropping of the the, the marathon film for this week. I've said that we'll be back next week. Uh, but we hope that we've given you enough enough to kind of to to entertain you wherever to you wherever you listen to the podcast. Um, we've had some very nice feedback in the past couple of weeks. Uh, had some very nice feedback over Twitter on the shows on the last yep. show, um, which is very very nice to hear. It's very nice to hear that people are enjoying us and you know I, I find it fascinating listening to where I find that where people listen to podcasts um, because it, it, it's it's quite fun to see that we're part of your journey to work or that we help you on your run or during your night shift or anything like that because I have very mm-hmm. I have very set places that I listen to podcasts and set podcasts take up set times and that's how I that's how I get a podcast I don't just listen to them whenever I listen to them at right X podcast fills X hole and X Y podcast fills Y and everything like that. So that's quite cool to hear. So feedback to DudeInTheMonkey at gmail.com, at DudeInTheMonkey on Twitter, at Ian Lauren on Twitter, at DudeFoz on Twitter. Mm-hmm. iTunes reviews always greatly received. Ian, do you have anything else to add? Uh, no, I hope to be uh, perkier next week. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, we have <laughs> no idea what we're covering next week, do we? Do we have an idea? Um, Alpha Papa. I think we might be Alpha Papa, yes. Um, so, like I say, thank you very much for listening, and we shall speak to you next week. Cheers, guys. Cool. Should be that edited and hopefully out tomorrow. Nice. Cool, right, I'm going to go and possibly watch Drinking Buddies. Solid, man. Right, do it. Cool. Do it. Speak to you later on, buddy. Cheers, cheers mate. Bye. Take it easy. Bye.